Welcome to Quanta Magazine's podcast. Each episode, we bring you stories about developments in science and mathematics. I'm Susan Vallett. Have you ever looked up at the moon and wondered how it got there? Now scientists are spinning up new tales about its origin. It's December 13, 1972. Eugene Cernan and Harrison Schmidt park their rover in the moon's Sea of Serenity. The Apollo 17 astronauts check in with Bob Parker, their mission scientist on Earth. Hey, Bob, how do you read? I'll ask the Apollo 17, how do you read? Okay, we're parked on a heading of uh, 107. Uh, <laughs> you happy with that? Roger. You're parked on a slope, dude. There's no level. There's no level. Cernan and Harrison struggle to get out of the rover. Do you want me to block the wheel? <laughs> you got the brake on, I hope. You betcha. I don't know if I could leave a pill enough. I can't. <laughs> Holy moly. <laughs> Why are we on a slope? You okay? Yeah, let me get this thing set again. I don't think you can. Are, are we on a slope? Okay, I'm going to stay out from between the rocks. It's a beautiful east-west split rock. It's even got a north overhang that uh, we can work with. Cernan and Harrison start off to collect samples. Hey, I'm standing on a motor track. How does that make you feel? That makes me feel like I'm coming over to do some samples. The astronauts chisel bits of the moon from the boulder. Schmidt scrapes the powdery surface with a rake. Then he lifts a rock, later named Troctolite 76536, off the surface and into history. That rock ended up telling a story about how the moon came to be. In this creation tale, the moon was forged in a collision between a young Earth and a rocky world the size of Mars. This other world was named Theia, for the Greek goddess who gave birth to Selene, the goddess of the moon. Theia clobbered Earth so hard and so fast that they both melted. Eventually, leftover debris from Theia cooled and solidified into the silvery moon we know today. This origin story has been told in textbooks and science museums for the last four decades. But modern measurements of Troctolite 76536 and other rocks from the Moon and Mars cast doubt on this story. The giant impact hypothesis rests on assumptions that don't match the evidence. If Theia hit Earth and later formed the Moon, the Moon would be made of Theia-type material. But the Moon does not look like Theia, or like Mars, for that matter. Down to its atoms, the Moon looks almost exactly like Earth. Confronted with this discrepancy, lunar researchers have sought new ideas for understanding how the moon came to be. The first and most obvious solution is that Theia did form the moon, but Theia was made of material almost identical to Earth. 
The second possibility is that the impact process thoroughly mixed everything, blending clumps and liquids like pancake batter. This could have taken place in an extremely high-energy impact or a series of impacts that produced a series of moons that later combined. The third possible explanation challenges what we know about planets. It claims the Earth and Moon we have today underwent strange metamorphoses that changed their rotations and their futures. To understand what may have happened, it helps to understand the solar system's youth. Four and a half billion years ago, a hot donut-shaped cloud of debris surrounded the newborn sun. Over eons, star-forged elements in that cloud cooled and combined into clumps, and then into planetesimals, then into increasingly larger planets. These rocky bodies violently and frequently collided and vaporized one another. The Earth and Moon were forged in this brutal billiard ball hellscape. Based on the Moon's size, spin, and other factors, the best computer models say whatever collided with Earth must have been the size of Mars. Anything bigger or much smaller would produce a system with a much greater angular momentum. That's the movement and mass of a rotating object or system. A bigger projectile would also throw too much iron into Earth's orbit, creating a more iron-rich moon than the one we have today. Early geochemical studies of Troctolite 76536 and other rocks bolstered this story. They showed that lunar rocks would have originated in a lunar magma ocean that could only be generated by a giant impact. The troctolite would have bobbed in this molten sea like an iceberg floating off Antarctica. Based on these physical constraints, scientists have argued that the moon was made from the remnants of Theia. But there's a problem. As rocky worlds collided and vaporized in the early solar system, their contents mixed and settled into distinct regions. Closer to the sun, lighter elements would be likelier to heat up and escape, leaving an excess of heavy isotopes. Those are variants of elements with additional neutrons. Farther from the sun, rocks were able to keep more of their water, so that's where we find lighter isotopes. Because of this, a scientist can examine an object's isotopic mix to identify where in the solar system it came from. These differences are so pronounced that they're used to classify planets and meteorite types. For example, Mars is so chemically distinct from Earth that its meteorites can be identified simply by measuring ratios of three different oxygen isotopes. In 2001, Swiss researchers used advanced mass spectrometry techniques to re-measure Troctolite 76536 and 30 other lunar samples. They found that its oxygen isotopes were nearly identical to those from Earth. Geochemists have since studied titanium, tungsten, and other obscure metals from Earth and the Moon. Everything looks pretty much the same. This is bad news for Theia. If Mars is so different from Earth, Theia and the Moon would be different too. If they're the same, that means the Moon must have formed from melted bits of Earth. The Apollo rocks would then be in direct conflict with what physics insist must be true. Sarah Stewart, a planetary scientist at the University of California, Davis, says the traditional model is in serious crisis. It's not dead yet, but it doesn't work. Stewart has been trying to reconcile the physical constraints of the problem with the new geochemical evidence. In 2012, she and a colleague proposed a new physical model for the moon's formation. 
They argued that the early Earth was a whirling dervish, rotating through one day every two or three hours. Then Theia collided with it. The collision would have produced a disk around Earth, much like the rings of Saturn. They theorized the disk would only have lasted for about 24 hours, and ultimately would have cooled and solidified to form the moon. Supercomputers aren't powerful enough to model this process completely, but they do show that a projectile slamming into such a fast-spinning world could shear away enough of Earth, obliterate enough of Theia, and scramble enough of both to build a moon and Earth with similar isotopic ratios. Think of smacking a wet lump of clay on a fast-spinning potter's wheel. Clay flies everywhere. But for the fast-spinning Earth explanation to work, something else would have to come along to slow the Earth down to its current rotation rate. In their 2012 work, Stewart and her colleague argued that under certain orbital resonance interactions, Earth could have transferred angular momentum to the Sun. Later, MIT's Jack Wisdom suggested several alternate scenarios for draining angular momentum away from the Earth-Moon system. But none of the explanations was entirely satisfactory. Stewart says the 2012 model still couldn't explain the moon's orbit or chemistry. Then last year, Simon Locke, a student of Stewart's at the time, came up with an idea. Locke, who's a grad student at Harvard, proposed an updated model that suggests a previously unrecognized planetary structure. In this story, every bit of Earth and Theia vaporized and formed a bloated cloud shaped like a thick bagel. The cloud spun so quickly that at the outer edge, vaporized rock took on a new structure with a fat disk circling an inner region. The disk was not separated from the central region the way Saturn's rings are or the way previous models of giant impact moon formation were either. Conditions in this proposed structure are hellish. There's no surface. Instead, clouds of molten rock form a vapor of molten rock raindrops. Locke says the moon grew inside this vapor before it eventually cooled and left behind the Earth-Moon system. Given the structure's unusual characteristics, Locke and Stewart thought it deserved a new name. They tried several versions before coining Synestia. The word uses the Greek prefix S-Y-N, meaning together, and the goddess Hestia, who represents the home, hearth, and architecture. Stewart says Synestia means connected structure. Locke and Stewart published a paper on the physics of Synestias in May. Another paper arguing for a Synestia lunar origin is still in review. They presented their work to two planetary science conferences, and they say other researchers are intrigued, but aren't sold on the idea. That may be because Synestias are still just an idea. Ringed planets are common in our own solar system, and protoplanetary disks are common across the universe. Locke says he doesn't expect people to accept their new model readily because no one's ever seen a Synestia. But what we're hoping is that this is certainly an interesting pathway that could actually explain the main features of our moon, sort of get us over this, this bump that we're in where we're sort of, oh, we have a model that doesn't really work, but we don't have a better explanation. What we're hoping to provide is a better explanation. Earth's moon may be most striking for its solitude compared to other natural satellites in the solar system. 
Mercury and Venus don't have any, partly because they're so close to the Sun, which would make their moon's orbits unstable. Mars has tiny Phobos and Deimos, which some scientists argue are captured asteroids. Others argue they're formed from Martian impacts. Many moons orbit Jupiter and Saturn, some rocky, some watery, some both. When it comes to Earth's moon, it stands out for two reasons. First, the moon is about 1% of the mass of Earth. The combined mass of the outer planet's satellites is less than one-tenth of 1% of their parents. Second, and perhaps most importantly, the moon contains 80% of the angular momentum of the Earth-Moon system. In other words, the moon is responsible for 80% of the motion of the system as a whole. For the outer parent satellites, that value is less than 1%. The moon may not have carried all this weight the whole time, though. The face of the moon tells a story of lifelong bombardment. Why should we assume that just one rock was responsible for carving it out of Earth? Raluca Rufu, a planetary scientist at the Weizmann Institute of Science in Israel, says it's possible that multiple impacts made the moon. In a paper published last winter, she argued that Earth's moon is not the original moon. Instead, its creation was the result of a thousand cuts, or at the very least a dozen, according to her simulations. Projectiles coming in from multiple angles and at multiple speeds would hit Earth and form disks. These disks would combine into moonlets, which are essentially crumbs that are smaller than Earth's current moon. Interactions between moonlets of different ages caused them to merge, eventually forming the moon we know today. Planetary scientists were receptive when her paper was published last year, but more testing needs to be done. And there are still questions. For example, the Earth's moon constantly faces the same direction. Rufu isn't sure whether the moonlets would have been similarly locked in their orbital positions. If they were, she's not sure how they could have merged. That's the next thing she's trying to figure out. Meanwhile, others have turned to another explanation for the similarity of Earth and the moon. And this one might have a very simple answer. It's possible that the moon looks just like Earth because Thea did, too. The moon is not the only Earth-like thing in the solar system. Rocks like Troctolite 76536 share an oxygen isotope ratio with Earth rocks, as well as a group of asteroids called Institite chondrites. Miriam Tellis is a cosmochemist at the Carnegie Institution in Washington, D.C. She says the asteroid's oxygen isotope composition is very similar to Earth's, She says one explanation is that they formed in hotter regions, closer to the sun, probably near where Earth formed. Some of these rocks came together to form Earth. Others would have combined to form Theia. The Institite chondrites are the remnants, rocks that never combined and grew large enough to form mantles, cores, and fully-fledged planets. In January, Nicola Dofas, a geophysicist at the University of Chicago, argued that a majority of the rocks that became Earth were instatite meteorites. He argued that anything formed in the same region would be made from them too. Planet building was taking place using the same pre-mixed materials that we now find in both the Moon and Earth. They look the same because they are the same. Dofos says the giant impactor that formed the moon probably had an isotopic composition similar to that of the Earth. 
David Stevenson, a planetary scientist at Caltech, has studied lunar origins since Theia hypothesis was first presented in 1974. He considers the paper by Dofos to be the most important contribution to the debate in the past year. Stevenson says it addresses an issue geochemists have grappled with for decades. I'm sure, because it's the very nature of their field, that the geochemists as a group are not entirely happy with what Dofa has done. I'm sure that they will have specific criticisms. But he has put together a story which is quantitative. It's a clever story in that nature paper. He shows how to look at the various elements that go into the earth, what we see in the mantle right now, how they partition, whether or not they go into the core. And from that, he can back out a possible story for the sequence of materials that was delivered to the Earth. And in that sequence, the chondrites play an important role, more than one half. And you can think of a story that might be able to explain why the projectile looks similar to the Earth. But not everyone is convinced. Stewart points out that there are still questions about the isotopic ratio of elements like tungsten. Tungsten-182 is the daughter of hafnium-182. That means the ratio of tungsten to hafnium acts as a clock, setting the age of a particular rock. If one rock has more tungsten-182 than another, you can safely say the tungsten-filled rock formed earlier. But the most precise measurements available show that the Earth and Moon's tungsten-hafnium ratios are the same. Dofoss concedes that it would take special coincidences for both of them to end up with matching compositions. The Moon is our constant companion, the target of dreamers and explorers since the beginning of time. Understanding it is a worthy cause on its own, but according to Stevenson, its origin story and the story of rocks like Troctolite 76536 may be just one chapter in a much bigger epic. It could be argued the formation of the moon is worthy of detailed analysis because it does give us an insight into what happened in the formation of terrestrial planets. So I take the view that while it could be argued that just knowing the origin of the moon is a very important question in its own right. I see it as a window to the more general question, what happened when terrestrial planets formed. Understanding Synestias might help answer that. Locke and Stewart argue that Synestias would have formed quickly in the early solar system as protoplanets whacked into each other and melted. Many rocky bodies might have started out as puffy vapor halos. Figuring out how Synestias evolve could help scientists figure out how the moon and other terrestrial worlds evolved. More samples from the Earth and moon would help, too. Pieces from each mantle might be especially helpful because geochemists would have more data to sift through. They would be able to tell whether oxygen stored deep within Earth is the same all over, or if three common oxygen isotopes hang out in different areas. Stevenson says there could still be some surprises. When we say that the Earth and the Moon are very close to being identical in the three oxygen isotopes, we are, of course, making an assumption. So I would say as a more general comment that there could still be surprises ahead in the data. 
that will change what we think about the origin of the moon. That's still possible. New tweaks to solar system origin theories are also illuminating where planets were born and where they migrated. Scientists increasingly suggest we can't count on Mars to tell this story. The red planet may have formed in a different area of the solar system than Earth, the Instatites, and Theia. So Stevenson says Mars should no longer be used as a barometer for rocky planets. Ultimately, lunar scientists agree that the best answers may be found on Venus, the planet most like Earth. It may have had a moon in its youth and lost it. It may be very similar to Earth or not. But according to Harvard's Simon Locke, we may not figure that out anytime soon. Obviously, the key to this would be that if we could get a lump of rock from Venus. But sadly, that's uh, not, not on anyone's priority list, mainly because it's very hard. Without samples from Venus or labs that can test the pressures and temperatures at the heart of giant impacts, scientists will just have to devise new models. And each time, they'll reshape the moon's origin story. This episode was produced by Jeanette Kazmerzak. I'm Susan Vallett. For more on this story, read Rebecca Boyle's full article, What Made the Moon? New Ideas Try to Rescue a Troubled Theory, on our website, quantummagazine.org. <laughs>